Good afternoon. This is Greg Lois. Uh, if you're here today, uh, we're here to talk about the going and coming defense in New Jersey. This is part of our New Jersey Workers' Compensation webinar series. Uh, my contact information is on the screen. Please feel free to email me any questions that arise uh, during the webinar or after the webinar. Uh, this is absolutely live, uh, so you can also send your questions in. You can type them in right through the GoToWebinar screen. Today, we're here to talk about uh, uh, how we defend cases uh, and determining when injuries are compensable. Uh, this is a typical question we get, and the question we get from our location, our insured, our, uh, the, uh, the client asks you, hey, is this case compensable? Did it really arise out of in the course of employment? And they might not even know what those words mean, but they'll tell you a fact pattern. And, you know, our employee was driving here, was driving there, was traveling for work, was delivering something, they got injured. And what they really want to know is, does this going and coming defense apply? So that's what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, this is overall webinar series. If you've been with us, uh, we're now in the fourth month of the news cycle. Uh, it's pretty clear what's going on in our webinar series. Uh, it's always the uh, third Monday of the month, and we're now in a rising out of the course of this is basically the fourth chapter of my book that we'll be looking at today. Um, this is just a small part of the type of training and outreach that we do here at Lois LLC. This is what we're all about. Uh, obviously, uh, I write the handbooks for our clients. Uh, there are many, many articles. We post about 20 articles a month on our website on different aspects of defending workers' compensation claims. We have a newsletter that comes out on the first of every month, uh, which has a compendium of all the articles we've write, written. And, of course, we do these monthly webinars, both in New York Workers' Compensation and New Jersey. Today, we're going to talk about New Jersey. Um, the third Monday of the month is always the New York webinar. The fourth Monday is New Jersey. It's the fourth Monday, everybody. Can you believe that June is almost over and we're talking about New Jersey? This is absolutely live. This is completely unscripted. As you can tell, I'm just winging this here today. And these webinars are always a lot better when they're live. Uh, and when you ask us questions, uh, I can't, we can't always do them live uh, because if people uh, have a, a trial comes up or a court order deposition or something like that. Uh, but today I am live. Please type your questions in as I go. I'll try to answer them as I get to them. Um, so I'm very interested to sort of see what kind of questions we get today. And just to remind everyone who's watching, uh, it doesn't have to be on today's topic. It could really be on any topic, anything that you've got a question about in New Jersey workers' compensation law. All right, today we're going to talk about the going and coming defense, how we raise the defense, when it should be raised, and we're going to talk about some common situations where this defense uh, comes into play. And there's really like three or four times where we are seeing this defense raised all the time. Now, this is concluding the defense sort of discussion or all the legal defense discussion that we've been having over the last couple months. Uh, last month, uh, my partner Joe Jones and our associate Mike Irvellino covered the defense of notice, statute of limitations, not my employee, intentional injury, recreational harm, personal injuries, and lunchtime accidents. That was last month. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about just the going and coming defense. And the reason it's got its own sort of day is because it's such a big one. We're using it so often as a defense in these workers' compensation claims that we're defending. Now, if you missed last month's presentation when they talked about the other jurisdictional defenses, have no fear. First of all, the presentation is archived on our website, so you can always go back and watch every uh, prior uh, presentation, both New Jersey and New York. Also, I included the handout today, uh, and it should be there in your GoTo uh, webinar control panel. I put the handout that we sent to you this morning over email for today's presentation, and you should also have the uh, handout for 
the present for their uh, uh, last month's presentation, which was sort of all the defense. So uh, those are two good resources. Um, okay, let's talk about what we're going to discuss today, which is what is the going and coming defense? How do we raise it, and when does it apply? Uh, the going and coming rule is really just a shorthand way, it's our workers' comp lingo of discussing the definition of employment, which is in Section 36 of the Workers' Compensation Statute. New Jersey has an act, it's called the New Jersey Workers' Compensation Act, and it's at uh, New Jersey Statutes Annotated 34-15-1, and Section 36 is one part of that overall statute. Uh, that statute says, gives a very clear definition of employment. Uh, of course, us lawyers have managed to muddy up that definition over time, but the employment uh, uh, definition is pretty clear in Section 36 of the statute. It actually says that the employment is deemed to have begun when the petitioner, when the employee, reports to work. And when they leave work, it's deemed to be over. I mean, this is common sense. It doesn't seem like something you have to even write down. But the statute goes a little bit further, and it sort of defines what that means. And it goes on to say, that generally speaking, any injuries that arise on the way to work, during part of your regular commute, on the way home from work, those would not be compensable ever. Uh, and it gives a couple of exceptions, okay? And those exceptions are pretty clear. When the employer is paying travel time, when the employee is using an employer-authorized or supplied vehicle, and when emergency personnel are traveling on their way to an actual emergency. And that last one's a little tricky because, guys, traveling to the firehouse uh, to go to a you know, weekend barbecue that we're throwing or a fundraising event, maybe that doesn't count. It's, you actually have to travel on the way to an uh, So generally speaking, injuries that arise out of in the course of employment really means injuries that happen at work. When the employees are not on our premises, when they're off doing something on their own time, when they're in their regular commute, generally speaking, those are not going to be compensable. And you should be always thinking, whenever there's travel involved or off of our, our actual premises, uh, you should be thinking as these claims get reported to you from your location, you're insured, uh, you should be saying to yourself, wait a second, is this an exception or should I be denying this case because it's a going and coming case? The immediate exceptions or the easy ones are really paid travel time. If we're paying someone and saying, I need you to go from point A to point B or travel between two of our um, employment locations and I'm paying you for that, generally speaking, that's going to fall as, as arising out of in the course of employment. I'm paying you to do this. I'm expecting you to do it. I'm commanding you to do it. Uh, therefore, any injuries that arise out of that travel are going to be compensable. Uh, similarly, employees that are using our vehicles, uh, and, and I want to be careful about this, uh, using our vehicle on our employer-authorized business, employer-authorized business. There are a slew of cases where, for example, state troopers uh, are given a vehicle, they keep it in their home, and, you know, they're dropping their kids off of uh, uh, at daycare or something, well, you're not doing anything that's uh, that at the employer request. That was not authorized. There are even cases where uh, emergency personnel are claiming that they had to go outside and shovel out their driveway so that the vehicle could be removed. All sorts of really interesting uh, fact patterns emerge. But generally speaking, it's not just the fact that they're in my vehicle, but they're also in my vehicle, and I authorize them to do that. They're doing my business. Um, the most common situation that we see this defense being uh, raised is in the case of parking lots. The parking lot cases are legion. If you've been at this a little while, you start to see these crazy parking lot scenarios. Uh, and the issue about parking lots 
are going to be, generally speaking, injuries that occur in a parking lot are not compensable, even if the person's on their way into work. The exceptions to that are where we own the parking lot, or we maintain the parking lot, or where we direct the employee where to park inside that parking lot. What do I mean by that? Many of our, our clients and uh, many of your insureds are retailers, and they may not own uh, the uh, facility that they are retailing in. Uh, they don't own the building. They don't own the sidewalk. They don't own the parking lot. They're simply leasing out space in a mall or in a shopping plaza or even a standalone. And uh, the employees are directed by the employer. Do not park anywhere near the entrance. We want to save those really nice, easy parking spots for our customers. So please don't park there. We want you to park far on the other side of the parking lot, way out of the way, uh, you know, over in that corner over there. So in those circumstances, anything that happens to the employee, generally speaking, when they're on their way into the employment or leaving our premises and going all the way out of their car, is now going to become compensable because I directed them where they should park. If I don't direct them and I don't own or maintain or control the parking lot, then those injuries would not be compensable. Uh, the issue of who owns the parking lot is also a common uh, question that we have. Uh, I'm an employer. I uh, rent space in this office building. I have use of several spots out in the back. Uh, but do I own or maintain the parking lot? No. Uh, therefore, I, I think there's an argument that uh, unless the, I direct the employees where to park there uh, and this parking lot has nothing to do with this building, uh, that those injuries would not be compensable. And what I mean by that is they're not part of the, the premises. They're just a shared parking lot. Uh, another question is who maintains the parking lot? Because these cases get so uh, disputed and they're so controverted, that often we'll have to determine who is responsible for maintaining it so that we can show that there was some kind of control or lack of control over where the employees park in the parking lot. These are the number one types of did it arise out of and in the course of employment questions that I get on a daily basis, the parking lots. Uh, next, travel time. Generally speaking, if our employees are traveling for business and we're telling them they have to travel for us, those, that travel time, any travel time injury would be compensable. Uh, let's be careful about that because the employee can, be do, can do things that take them out of that travel time exception. So if they're, they're traveling on business, uh, whether it's paid or unpaid, and sometimes that's difficult with a salaried employee, uh, but they're directed to do this travel. It's necessary. It's mandatory. It's required. Generally speaking, injuries that arise out of and during the course of that travel are going to be deemed to arise out of and in the course of employment and will be compensable. So Generally speaking, this comes up in the case of traveling for work. We're sending people to a conference. They're going out to our locations to perform inspections or audits or visits or whatever. Generally speaking, that is going to be compensable. It's sometimes difficult to dispute or it's difficult to draw a line between what's a regular commute and what's a travel time injury. And we could talk about that. I hope I get some questions about that. Uh, uh, the other issue is paid travel time. Again, with salaried employees who are typically doing, you know, the interstate travel and going to conferences and conventions, a little more difficult to show that they were paid specifically for that travel. And then finally, employer-provided vehicle. Am I putting the employee in a vehicle? Am I supplying the vehicle, authorizing the use of a vehicle, or am I leasing vehicles for them? Uh, am I putting them in buses to transfer them from one location to another by providing the vehicle? Uh, that will uh, be considered uh, to arise out of in the course of employment. 
and contrast that with employees or employers that have a ride share, uh, you know, recommendations, or in our case, uh, we do a commuter benefit here or we'll reimburse employees for uh, uh, commuting costs, and, the, and that's, that's for a tax-deferred benefit to the employee, that does not bring that within the uh, compensability of the Workers' Compensation Act. Uh, next, special errands. And uh, I, this video is a little weird because uh, this employee, to me, looks a little bit like Donald Trump. He's got sort of Donald Trump hair going on. Uh, but special errand, this is where my employee does not have to do uh, employer-required travel ever. Okay, I think about an inside employee, uh, they're not doing outside work, they're always on the premises, um, and they have a conventional place of employment, and that's really what's important. Do they have a conventional place of employment? And, and generally speaking, most employees do. Um, and I direct them, I'm their supervisor, I'm their manager, I'm their boss, and I say, I need you to go someplace, I want you to go to Starbucks and pick me up a coffee. Uh, that may be enough to transform uh, that errand into an actual incident of the employment and then have any injuries that arise on the way to that Starbucks to pick up my coffee and come back uh, as compensable. Uh, this is specifically described in the statute. Uh, it specifically says that if the employer is, has a normal place of employment, but we send them on a special mission, uh, that they are then, uh, any injuries that occur on that special mission then become, uh, you know, sort of uh, compensable. And there really isn't a good bright line on this. In fact, there's a recent case in New Jersey was decided a few years ago uh, in which an employee, uh, and it really kind of talked more about deviation, but we talked about an employee who's traveling five miles off site to go buy coffee and come back. Well, if the employer is telling them to do that, requiring them to do that, that would be compensable. I'm getting a lot of questions recently about people who work from home. Uh, there's an ever-growing part of the workforce that works from home. I know here at Lois LLC, uh, we don't have any what we call work from home, but a lot of the attorneys, they go to court in the afternoon, and they're done at 2 o'clock or 3 o'clock. Do they come back to the office, per se? No, maybe they go home, and then they send their post-hearing reports from home, uh, et cetera. And many employers are like this. Uh, I don't think you'll find a professional employment that doesn't have some degree of working from home going on. Pretty much all of my clients have some type of work from home uh, for any of their professional uh, or supervisory or, or management employees. Uh, and these, this, these are really difficult because, first of all, defining what even is working from home and then the types of injuries that we're seeing uh, being alleged to have occurred in the workplace, <laughs> that home workplace, are, are really difficult. So, for example, uh, let's compare and contrast different types of employers and different types of working from home. I think that's important to do. So there are some people who are just pure telecommuters. They purely work from home. They have a little office in their house, and they're working the phones, and they're working the computers from 9 to 5. And I think it's pretty clear that when they punch in for the day at 9 in the morning, that even though that home is their home, uh, any injuries that occur to them while they're working in that home and doing employer-authorized business uh, would be compensable. I mean, that's really their place of employment. It doesn't really matter that it's at their house. Uh, their regular place of employment, their customary place of employment, really that's their, their, their place. And as long as we can verify they're working, I, I think it's pretty clear that those work-from-home injuries are, are going to be uh, uh, compensable. Uh, where we get more difficult is where the sort of relationship between working from home and also sort of uh, the people who are just kind of like saying they are, this is where we get the challenges. Okay, So let's, let's talk about a couple of those. And there's a couple of interesting decisions in New Jersey case law that I think are kind of fun to discuss. And the little video you can see, and I hope it's clear on the webinar, is our, our employee working from home getting his heart attack and having a, a sort of a, 
uh, cardiac arrest there. We're going to talk about that in a second because that's an actual case in New Jersey. Um, let's talk about how, how much the work has to be actually done at home or like what really counts, okay? So in Manzo versus Amalgamated, the question was, you know, here we got an employee who from time to time would bring uh, uh, employment documents home and they sat on a desk somewhere. Uh, this is an employee who maybe maintained some business records in their home. Well, the courts have ruled on that. The appellate division came back and said, you know what, just sometimes keeping uh, work materials in her home, you know, keeping some, some business records there, that's not going to be enough to transform that employment at home into the regular workplace and have everything that happens in that home uh, be compensable. Okay, so that's Manzo. Lawhead's an even more interesting case. Mark Lawhead is actually a workers' compensation defense attorney. He was employed by Harleysville Insurance. And the interesting thing is he got injured driving uh, from court back to his house. Of course, he brought a workers' comp claim against Harleysville. And Harleysville said, no way. Well, how is this compensable? And he said, well, I had work in the trunk of my car, and I was planning on going home and doing this work at home. Uh, that case went up to the appellate division and got thrown out, too. The home was not the regular place of employment. The fact that from time to time you would bring work home and or maybe intended to do work that day uh, doesn't make it compensable. And that brings into like a whole line of cases that you'll see. Uh, this is where employees will say things like, I was thinking about uh, working today, or I was going to make some phone calls when I got home, those types of questions. Not compensable. And finally, there's Renner versus AT&T. This one's been talked to death. It's a crazy decision. Uh, when the workers' comp law judge decision came out, I wrote long articles about why this judge was so wrong. Renner was an employee of AT&T. Uh, she claimed she was working from home. Uh, she, she had a joint cardiopulmonary arrest. She ultimately passed away from it. Uh, the case that, I, the thing that I uh, really reacted to, and you know, if you, if you go onto our website, lois-llc.com, and just type in the word Renner, you'll see my articles where I wrote about this decision when it first came out. Uh, there was very little to show the employee was actually doing anything work-related. And in fact, uh, from the time she was actually doing work, and the work was consisting of sitting at a computer and typing out a couple emails, uh, to many, many hours passed uh, until she had her cardiopulmonary event. Very little to tie those two things in together, you know, showing I sent a few emails uh, that day, earlier in the day, and six or five hours later, I suffered cardiopulmonary arrest and ultimately passed away. And this, by the way, from an employee who is extremely morbidly obese and had a whole plethora of comorbidities, uh, I thought that was a not even questionable why that should have been found compensable. It was ultimately found compensable, went up to the appellate division, and, of course, they threw it down. I'm very pleased with the way the appellate division ruled. Uh, they basically adopted uh, the arguments that I placed in my article, and I strongly agree with that. So, And, and those sort of inquit, vague uh, uh, injuries, particularly cardiovascular, unobserved, and hours distant from when they were actually working from home, those should absolutely be denied, and those were ones where we would absolutely be invoking uh, the going and coming defense. This has nothing to do with the employment. This is a purely personal risk. Finally, there's deviation from the employment as a defense, and I'm here with the going and coming rule. And this is where the employee goes and does something that so obviously separates them from the employment. They're going out, they're pursuing uh, 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 you know, some kind of personal errand, uh, they're picking up their kid. It takes them outside of the employment. That's a little bit different from going and coming, right? Going and coming really is talking about travel time injuries, regular commute injuries, et cetera. A deviation is where somebody works for us 
And, you know, they're supposed to be delivering, uh, for example, I mean, we see this all the time with delivery people. Uh, they're supposed to be delivering to a warehouse, but they take this sort of big detour and they go off 15 miles in the other direction so they can go have lunch with their, uh, their friend, you know, their brother or something like that. And on the way back from that long detour, now they get into an accident. Those we consider more deviations uh, than anything else, and that's how we defend them, typically as a deviation from the land. You went and started pursuing some uh, personal errand, completely personal, and it has nothing to do with the employment. Uh, so they're defended slightly differently. All right, that's my prepared remarks. Let's take a look at some of these questions. To do that, I'm going to come over here to this computer today. All right, I see a question from uh, Jim. Uh, let's blank this screen. Let's blank the screen. Give me one sec. Why can't I do that? Let's blank the screen for just one sec. I answer these. Okay. Okay, this is Pat. She says, Greg, I just lost a case in New York State where the retail associate fell after punching out and walking to the car. Uh, it was a common parking lot. Uh, we could not present any other reason for a fall. It was deemed compensable. Does New Jersey have this law? In the absence of the contrary, it was found to arose out of the employment. And she's giving me the citation to the case where she didn't prevail. Okay, so here we have, I think this is a great example because it kind of talked about that first retail example that I had. And this is the most common one. We're, we're a retailer. We are maybe just one of the stores of many in a mall or one of stores and many in a strip mall. We have a shared common parking lot, and the employee gets injured in the parking lot. Unless the employer owns, maintains, or controls that parking lot in New Jersey or is directed where to park in that parking lot, I think we're going to dispute those cases. There's nothing specific that arises out of in the course of the employment. Um, so I would be looking for those extra factors in New Jersey. New York's a different state. New York's webinar was last week, by the way. It was uh, Tashia and Emily who, pre who presented on that topic. And it's possible in New York you'd come out the other way. New York also has these ideas because it, there's so much of the case law in New York is based on the city of the employer having this gray zone and having an apron of responsibility that transmits outside of our employment into the sidewalk, uh, et cetera. So uh, different states are going to have different outcomes. In New Jersey, I would defend that case. Um, uh, Jim asked a question. I think he's going back to this Mark Lawhead uh, uh, versus Harleysville case that we talked about. And in that case, the employee uh, was done with work for the day. He was a trial attorney in the workers' compensation uh, arena, was driving home, had some work in his car, and he intended on doing work, and got in a car accident and brought a claim against his employer. The employer says, not work-related, you're in your regular commute. Jim asks a question, which I think is an interesting permutation of this, and Jim says, Greg, if the attorney had to complete work by the close of business that day, would that maybe change the opinion on whether it's work-related? Well, it might. I would certainly consider that as a factor, but then, listen, why aren't you just hanging out in the courtroom like the rest of us do and just doing your work right there? Uh, you know, one little secret about New Jersey workers' comp courts is they're not exactly busy in the afternoon. There's not a lot going on. Uh, there really isn't any reason you have to leave the employment, or sorry, leave the place he was expected to be, uh, travel home to do that work, unless they specifically directed or authorized him to do that. So again, I think I would still be defending that case. Um, all right. Uh, yeah, I got a couple of questions on a completely uh, different topic, but good, let's do this. Susan asked me, Greg. 
I have a case which settled for total permanent residual disability before January 1, 1980. Is that employee entitled to special adjustment benefits? So when does the formula determine the amount? And who pays at the carrier of the second injury fund, even though there was no fund participation in the original settlement? Well, it's not going to be the special injury fund because there was no special funds back or you didn't get any contribution. I wonder why a perm total case against you. Next, all the questions we have, let's, let's put the screen back on. And let's just, talk one, let's just talk about one more thing before I go, because this is another uh, common question I get, and I see some of my clients are in here, actually, some of my clients who have outside employees who are doing a lot of deliveries. And I'm surprised no one asked me this question, but it's one I get a lot, and I really should have thrown it into the webinar. And it's the question of, what if the employee has no regular place of employment? and travels from home every day to a different starting location. Maybe they're delivering goods for us. Maybe they have a regular merchandising route, et cetera. And that's a, that is one of the most typical questions we see. Um, New Jersey has an established case. It's uh, Brown versus Red Cross. And that case is that if you're paying them for that time, if that's considered part of their employment, then that travel uh, from their home to their first place would be compensable. It also works the other way. If you're not, it's not and it would be considered part of their regular commute. So another little interesting New Jersey permutation there. Okay, uh, I think that's all the questions. Next month, do I have to pay lost time? Well, next month we are done with defenses. We're gonna start moving into benefits. We're gonna talk about lost time benefits, how we pay it, how we defend it, how we calculate it, how long it can go on for, et cetera. That'll be presented by my partner, Joe Jones, with Michael Gervolino. And then the month after that, we're gonna do medical benefits, how we control it, how we reduce it, how we get people to MMI. So we're gonna be moving out of the defenses and moving into benefits uh, for the next couple of months. Okay, thanks for joining us today. If you have any more questions, please feel free to email me to contact me. I, I love getting questions. You always just call me. Uh, so long. See you next.